All right, so um, as we get to our text, there's only one thing that I'm going to remind us of before we jump in, because I said we have a lot to talk about today. We have a lot to cover, but there's one thing that we need to wrap this whole thing in, and that is that the gospel truth of Jesus Christ is exploding in the book of Acts. All right, it's just the church is growing, churches are being planted, people are growing, they're revealing God in everything that they do, because Jesus, God, has become man. He came and he lived and he died and he rose and he lived on our behalf. He died for our sin to restore us back to God, to forgive us. He rose so that we would not only be forgiven, but we might have new life, that we might be transformed, that we might be made new, that the community that we have with him would be never ending, that our salvation would be by grace and grace alone through faith and the reality that he has done all the work and we might rest in his righteousness and his holiness and his goodness and God would see us as as he sees himself one with him. Jesus has come and he has done all the work for salvation and people are being transformed. They're placing their faith in him. The church is growing and they are revealing Christ in everything that they do and everywhere that they go. All right, and, and I don't know why, but it's, it might be kind of weird to you, but during this time, especially maybe like six months ago, can you believe six, we've been in this pandemic for six months? And that's just a long time. Um, but, but six months ago, as kind of all of this started happening, uh, certainly we still do it today, but I remember kind of back at the beginning and just kind of watching the maps, right, of, of kind of the virus spreading and, and, and looking at, at the models that they were producing. And they were kind of saying, you know, usually uh, a really smart scientist, unlike me, uh, was looking at the map and kind of predicting, right? And they're saying, here's where we are. Um, and then you, I, I, the one I looked at, I just remember these red dots kind of popping up everywhere. It's like, here's where we are, and, and then here's where we might be in a week. Here's where we might be in a month. Here's where we could be in a year if we don't flatten the curve and do all these things. And it was just like, it looked like there was just no way we could keep up with this thing, right? And, and the way that it was being like portrayed, it was just like, this thing is going to flood the world. It's going to take over everything, and it just seemed to be spreading so fast. And if you didn't keep up with it, you felt like you, the world was just changing so fast, right? Like if you didn't look at everything just for one day, you would wake up the next day and have this kind of like Rip Van Winkle effect. Like you just felt like you just skipped 20 years and all the rules have changed, right? Like everything was just changing every single day and uh, sometimes multiple times a day. You're just trying to figure this new world out. And, and, I, and I don't know why I associate the gospel with this pandemic map, but for some reason I do. It's a complete reversal, right? Like it's a good thing that would be taking over. But, but I had this image as I was looking at these maps of the gospel in the book of Acts. As I saw these maps just kind of explode with, with something that looked like it could not be kept up with. It was just taking over the world. And I began to think to myself, man, if we as the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, began to not just see the effects of sin spread so rapidly that it looks like we can't keep up with it, changing our lives rapidly, transforming us to where we've got to figure out a new us and a new reality and a new culture, it seems like every 24 hours. But what if the gospel was spreading through God's people, changing lives from fear to hope and from death to life and giving people the reality that they were meant to live in so that they would be transformed in a way so rapidly becoming like Christ, that the joy that they have in every circumstance would just be flooding their lives, would just be revealed through everything. 
And, and I know it might be a little bit weird to, to, as I said, kind of think about the pandemic and the gospel in this way, but I want that vivid image of those maps that I know every single one of you have seen to be the vivid image of the vision that we have for the church in our city. That the gospel would just explode through the people of God and that we would pray to that end, that we would expect to that end, that we'd be prepared to that end, that God would use us in that way. And so we need to, to remember every single time we open up the book of Acts that God is moving through his people, that it is an unending movement of God and the gospel truth and lives being changed. And so last week, we saw Peter reenter the storyline, all right? And, and most of the rest of the book kind of has to deal with the mission of Paul and how God is using Paul, but Peter entered back into the storyline last week, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. I kind of alluded to this last week, that there were a few reasons that I think God was pulling Peter back into this so that we can see this. Um, one is just a simple thing that we see back in, in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus says, and, and, and let me get through this because there's a big but to it, but Jesus says to Peter that you are a, a rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and I will give the keys of the kingdom to you. Now, I said there was a but, all right? Because that does not mean that Peter is the foundation of the church. It doesn't mean that he is the truth of the church. It doesn't mean any of those things. God is the truth of the church. He is the foundation of the church. The gospel is what the church is built on, and it's built on that alone. The gospel is the key to the kingdom. It is the only way unto salvation. Only by placing our faith in the reality that Christ has done all the work. Can we have salvation? Can we be uh, in the kingdom of God for all of eternity? Do we feel the effects of that now? Are we able to grow in him and, and, and really live in the freedom that we are created to live in? It's only by God's grace and his work alone. But we do see kind of almost this double thing happening where God does actually use Peter to take the keys of the gospel truth to all peoples, all, as we read all the way back in Acts 1-8, where God comes and he lives and he dies and he rises. And before he ascends, he says, I'll send the power of the Holy Spirit that you might bear witness to me in Jerusalem and Samaria and all of Judea. And then we see God using Peter in this way. See, Peter is the one who preaches in Jerusalem and the day of Pentecost occurs where the Holy Spirit falls on the people of God. Then we see Peter going to Samaria to lay his hands on the believers to say, what is happening here is what happened in Jerusalem. They are not second-class Christians. We are all one people and one church. And now we see Peter take the gospel to the Gentiles. The key is the gospel, but Peter is being used to take it. And I think God is showing something here that he said to Peter back in Matthew chapter 16. Now, he is the foundation. God is. He is the gospel, but he's using Peter to do this. And I think this is a, a pretty cool little thing. Now, secondly, and, and what relates a little bit deeper to our text this morning is Peter is used to reveal to Peter and to us how the gospel transforms our natural tendencies and sins. Like it does not just save us and leave us alone to figure it out. Like God sanctifies us, he grows us, he continues to transform us and, and, and mold us into his image and a deeper understanding. We often say that the hard work of the gospel is not that we try harder to do better, but it's to understand what we already are in Christ. And the more we understand that, the more our hearts are transformed to live in the freedom that we have in God and to love doing so, to find joy in doing so, to reflect him in deeper ways in everything that we do. 
And so Peter's going to show us this because Peter is going to learn a big, big lesson in this text. God is going to radically transform him. And really, we see two different conversions. It's not just the salvation of the Gentiles and Cornelius. It's, the, it's a missional conversion in Peter. And so we see God save all people, but we also see God continue to transform his people. He continues to work in us and move in us and use us to take his gospel truth to the nations. And he will continue to save, but he will also continue to transform you. And the good news for you, if you are a follower of Christ, is that God is working in you even when you don't know it, even when you don't feel it, to produce in you a more Christ-likeness, that you might be more like him and that you might have more joy in this life. That you might understand the eternity that you have looking forward to in him and in him alone for the rest of your life. And if you're not a follower of Christ, the good news for you is salvation is available. Everything you're looking for is available in Christ and in Christ alone. And I think some of us need this missional conversion today. This has been speaking to me very clearly this week. And, and so we ended last week in, as I said, chapter 9, verse 43. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today, since we have so much text, is just to follow along. Um, we've read this many verses before, but just for the sake of time, uh, I'll explain where we are. And I want you to follow along. And so it's important that you have your Bible today. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, there's free Bibles out there, and on your way out, you can take one of those. Uh, we often even say if you have a friend you think would read it, if you gave them one, take one and give it to them. Uh, we want everybody to have God's Word, but follow along with us. Um, so last week, and at the end of chapter 9, verse 43, we saw Peter staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa. He's just done, God has used him to do these two different miracles over illness and death, and, and he's used that, and we saw how God uses miracles to bring others to him. And we need to know that Peter staying with Simon the Tanner is a huge stretch. It's the first part of our story. All right? It's a huge stretching moment for him. It reveals something that God is definitely doing and working on him to prepare him for what he's going to have him do next. And so I think verse 43 is a huge point that God is using in Peter's life to get him ready for chapter 10 and what's about to happen. And, and sometimes God works like this. I mean, Peter, for all intents and purposes, we don't know why he's staying with Simon the Tanner, but I guarantee you it's uncomfortable for him. And I'll tell you why in just a few moments. But I guarantee you Peter does not want to be there. He's probably looking forward to getting out of there and, and God calling him away to do something else and anything might be a little bit more comfortable for him. And he is just waiting for God to do something and call him away. But God has him there uh, doing something hard to prepare him for something harder. And I want you to hear that because I, I think a lot of times God works like this in our lives. He might be doing something in your life that is hard right now, not to get you through it into something more comfortable because he has something great for you planned that will be in his will that will give you the deepest joy that's even harder than the difficult thing he has you in now. See, that's where Peter is. And God works that way sometimes. And there might just be something that God is getting you ready to do that will blow your mind. Like Peter's mind is blown in the gospel truth in our text in chapter 10. But you're going to have to be worked in and worked through to get to the point where God will use you to do that. And so sometimes God has something big for you, but you're not ready yet. And if, and if he revealed it to you now, like you really want him to, you would say no and walk away. But God has an intermediate step for Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. Peter's there where he feels like 
I don't want to be here. This is something hard. And there are a few things we need to know about Peter so that we can see this and understand what is really happening at the deepest level in chapter 10. Okay, Peter, as many of us know, he's a pretty normal guy. All right, he's more of a blue-collar guy. He was a fisherman before meeting Christ, and Christ calls him to be a disciple. So he's a little bit different than Paul. If you remember how we described Paul a couple of weeks ago, Paul is, is more kind of ivory tower, book reader, writer. He's pinky up with his teacup. Okay, like he's, he's a little more well-to-do. Peter is a little bit more just kind of like, I'm not, I'm watching ESPN while Paul's reading. Okay. Like he's just kind of your everyday man. Um, God uses him in these powerful ways, but he's, he's a little bit opposite of, of Paul. That's just who he is. All right. Personality wise, even after Jesus calls him away from being a fisherman to be a fisher of men, he makes him a disciple of Christ. God does radically transform him. Like all through the Gospels, we see Peter radically being transformed and changed. But he still makes all kinds of mistakes. Like Peter gives us a lot of hope like that, all right? Like he's just making mistake after mistake after mistake. He basically lives with both feet in his mouth all the time, all right? And, and so I think that's in one way should just encourage us. Because Peter really helps us to see the reality that God saves us positionally. As soon as we place our faith in him, we are his, we are righteous, we are holy. Positionally, we are his children. But then we still struggle with the, the sins of the flesh in our lives. One day, all things will be made new. We'll be perfect in community with him. And positionally, we're already there as soon as we place our faith in him. But in this life, we all know we still struggle with things of the flesh. Things that we used to do that we're just having a hard time kind of getting victory over and, and, and new things that are constantly tempting us, there's still struggle in our lives with sin in premeditated ways and unpremeditated ways. It could be something we know of that we have struggled that we're just trying to work through and overcome. And if that is the case, I would encourage you to continue to seek God and pray and dive into him. The closer you get to him, the further away from sin you'll get. And also to be in deep gospel-centered community and have people in your life that hold you accountable and speak truth into you. Sometimes we want to stay away from people in the church, and it's the one place we should be deeply known by other people so that we can be deeply loved by people and that we can walk in the ways of Christ together. But for some reason, we think we need to come in here and be as fake as we possibly can be, and the world destroys us even though we're here every single week. So you need to be close to God and you need to be close to God's people. But there are also blind spots in your life. And some of the sin in our lives could be blind spots. We don't even know it's there. We don't even realize it. And it won't come out without the Spirit revealing it to us and the people around us going, hey, man, I don't, I don't think you see this, but we do. Another reason that you need the Holy Spirit living and dwelling and, and you need to be in the mainstream of what God is doing and in his word and in prayer and in community with people because all of us still struggle with sin. All of us do. Peter's there. He has a glaring weakness that God is about to explode and, ex and, and, and expose. And, and so we see this in Peter's life. And Peter's going to take some steps in the gospel truth in this. And I want some of us to take some steps in the gospel truth in this. See, because even later in Peter's life, like he's going to get it in a big way in this text. But even later in his life, it's still something he struggles with. And Paul has to actually come and remind him of it. 
because he's taken a step forward in it. Like what we're going to see is that he no longer believes that the gospel is just for some people, but that the gospel is for all people. But later in his life, he still thinks that, okay, the gospel is for everybody and it's great if everybody gets saved, but I want you to get saved and I still want us to be separate. I don't want us all to be one. I don't want to be one body and one people and for us to have unity in Christ. I'm great if you come to faith and if Christ saves you, but we're still going to be a separate people. And Paul has to come in and go, no, 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 that's not the way it is. You need another step. And we're going to see that in Peter's life. And because what's happening for Peter, and we need to understand this, is Peter is a proud Jewish man. He's a proud Jewish man. He was taught from childhood, as most people were. Okay, regardless of your race or ethnicity in this time period, to you were taught to, from a very young age, hold the strong prejudices. And, and listen to me, Peter is a sincere bigot. And, and I'm not using that too strong of words here. He is racist, he is prejudiced, he's a bigot, he's got a long way to go to understand the gospel truth. And, and, and most of the people in this time are of that way, okay? And, and so let me, let me ask or answer a controversial question. All right, I've been asked this a lot lately, and, and, and here it is. Can you be racist and be a Christian? All right, there's a big but here again. The answer is yes, you can be saved and be racist. But, right, and, and the reason for that is because we are not saved by what we do and who we are and what we think. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And if not for so, then we would have to get to a certain place on our own to actually love one another. But we are saved by grace. And when we are saved by grace, we are humbled in the reality that we have nothing to do with who we are. We're found in who we are in Christ. And now I can actually begin to love people. So you want to defeat racism, you have to be saved by grace. All right. So the answer is yes, but here's another question. Can you follow Jesus and be a racist? And the answer is no. The answer is absolutely no. That's why when we see prejudice and racism in our culture today, we pray that they would come to know the one who can defeat it. The one who made us to have unity together. The one who made us to be brothers and sisters in him, to be made one in the salvation that we have by grace alone through faith. So we desire all people to know Jesus so all people can understand that we're made in his image. And that by being made in his image, even though we are different, we are made different to understand him in deeper ways. And by coming together as one in community, we actually understand God better. We can glorify him more and we can have more joy. So we're going to see this in a deep way in this text. But in Peter's day, listen, non-Jews, they were not allowed to enter the temple. And if they did enter the temple, they could be killed for doing so. If a Jew was married to a Gentile, the family would actually hold a funeral for them. To say, if you marry a Gentile, you are no longer alive to us. Right now, now we would say through a gospel lens that interracial marriage is a beautiful thing. It reveals the gospel in a powerful way. Jews were not allowed to eat with Gentiles at all because of dietary laws that they have. You can read about them in Leviticus chapter 20. We're going to see those in our text. Anything a Gentile touched was considered unclean to be trashed or to be burned. It was very common for a Jewish man to pray a prayer like this every single day. God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, a dog, or a Gentile. 
Listen to me, a lot of pride to pray that prayer. A lot of finding yourself in your nationality to pray that prayer. A lot of finding yourself in being a man to pray that prayer. There's some deep-seated issues here that are not about the gospel. That are not honoring to God at all. And this was from every race to other races. This wasn't just Jew out. This was Gentile to Jew, Samaritan to Jew, Jew to Samaritan. All of the people in this region, they felt the same ways about everybody else in the region. There is some real distance and hatred between Jews and Gentiles. They have different cultures. They worship different things. They ate different things. They talk different ways. They live different ways. And all took a whole lot of pride in who they were and what they did. All took a lot of pride in who they were and what they did. And they found their identities in who they were and what they did. And listen to me, we don't have time to dig super deep into this, but when we find our identity and who we are and what we do and where we're from, it brings with it a whole lot of insecurity, a whole lot of insecurity, because you were not made to find your identity in who you are and in what you do. You were made to find your identity in the one who created you in his image. And when you find your identity and who you are and what you do, it will produce in you a lot of insecurity. And that will lead us to put others down, to strengthen self, and to try to produce a false sense of security in who we are and what we do. And it will build hatred, not unity, with people around us that are different. Jonathan Hyde, a philosopher, he's not a believer, but he has written some really, really good things on on different things like this. And so I would encourage you to to even read him, but to just know he's not a believer at all. Okay, and you're going to recognize that as soon as you start reading him. But he says what we do in our lives, building our identity in ourselves and and what we do and who we are, it, it makes us or causes us to normalize our identity, to normalize where we are from, to normalize our race, and then to trivialize everything else. Do we see that in our culture? That I need to build self up to have the identity I long to have that I can't find in anything of the world because I was created to have it in God. But I'm insecure because I can't build up enough. And so therefore I need to normalize everything I do and I will trivialize everything that everybody else does. And suddenly we have disunity and racism and prejudice. All because of our pride of finding self in, in, in self and who we are and what we do and where we're from. Jonathan Edwards called, and we've talked about this before, idolizing who we are to build self up, and that causes us to demonize everyone who is not like us. It's of the world. It's not of God. So Peter, from a very young age, he's a nationalist, and he feels racially superior. But listen to me, God has a better plan and identity and culture and than race, than nationality, than any accomplishment that we can have to build pride on that will cause insecurity. He has a way better plan than anything we can build ourselves on in this world. He has a way better kingdom than this world. He has a better identity than any identity we can find in this world. He has a better people and family than anything that we can have in this world. So it is significant that Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner. And I know that's a lot for us to say just to get to verse 43. 
But it's very significant for our text. And we'll go through the story really quickly together. Because Simon the Tanner, here's what we need to know. He works with animal hides. And it would break against, in the, in the minds of the Israelite people, the Levitical laws of what is clean and unclean to be around and to eat. So there's no way that he should be staying with Simon the Tanner. He's already uncomfortable in doing so. Right? Peter would not have done this at all pre-knowing Jesus and walking with him. This is not something that you would normally do. So God is already working on Peter, even though he doesn't know it, to do what he's about to call Peter to do, to take the gospel truth to the Gentiles and have his mind blown in the gospel reality. Like, our, I hope our minds are blown today. See, God's working in him. And, and God's working in you. And I would just encourage you this morning to take the time to realize what he is doing. Step back and see it and allow it to happen. Sometimes it might feel like it's a blessing and sometimes it might feel like it's a curse, but I, I promise you God's working in you. He's producing in you a, a deeper Christ-likeness and therefore a deeper joy. And in chapter 10, let's see the story quickly. It happens in six different sections. Some of them are, are repeating sections and so we'll kind of put the whole story together. Here's what it says. As Caesarea which is just this amazing city in this time. You can see the ruins today. Now, there's about 30,000 people. It's a port city, uh, 30,000 people at this time. But the Jewish people were a very small minority. That's what you need to know, right? Beautiful city, great port city, lots happening, lots of wealth, big temples, big amphitheaters. In fact, there was an outdoor amphitheater that was bigger uh, than the Colosseum in Rome. Big city, lots happening. But what we need to know is there weren't very many Jewish people. So it's not Peter's jam, all right? It's not where he wants to be. Peter, in, in, in fact, and I would encourage you, go home today, this afternoon, and read the book of Jonah. Because there are a lot of correlations between Peter and Jonah here. We got three times God telling him to do something. We got him calling to a people he doesn't want to go to. Like all of these different kinds of things. And, and Peter doesn't want to be used, but God uses him and the people come to faith. And, and just coincidentally, Peter's real name is Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. All right, lots of coincidence there that God is using and, and showing to us. But in Caesarea, there is a centurion soldier in the Italian co cohort named Cornelius. Now, a cohort was about 600 men. A centurion soldier would be in charge of 100 of those men. He would make about five times what a normal soldier would make in wages. So Cornelius, he's influential, he's wealthy, he's in a great city. He has what most men would desire to have to be fulfilled and to seek satisfaction. And we find that he's also a devout man. All right, and we need to see what that actually means. He's a devout man. God has been drawing him unto himself. So God's been working in him. God has been working to reveal himself in him, and, and he has been seeking after God because God has been seeking after him. And so he's seeking after more than what he can find in the things of the world. He's tasted a little success. He's tasted a little satisfaction in those things, a little happiness in getting those things. He knows that he needs more. He knows that he was not created for just those things. So it says he's a God-fearer. And that's an important word there, and it's an important word in the New Testament and, and what we see and read in the Bible. Because the title 
of God-fear was given to Gentiles by Jewish people and the, of the Gentiles who, who showed a little desire to follow God, even followed some of the things that they did and some of the traditions that they did, but, but they didn't follow all the Jewish traditions and they weren't necessarily actually Christ followers. They were just kind of God-fearers. They wanted to understand more about the God of Scripture. So that's what it means there to be a God-fearer. It doesn't mean that he was a follower of Christ or else the story doesn't need to happen. All right, he's not a follower of Christ at this point, but he is doing some of the things that a follower of Christ would do. So Cornelius, he is giving alms. He's giving to the church. He's giving to the poor. He is a generous man, right? He's doing the work that he feels like he is called to do. He's praying. In fact, he's praying right here in these first several verses. That's what God uses to, to, to reveal himself to him. And if you want to hear from God today, prayer is a really good place to start. So Cornelius is praying, he is giving, he's living a really, really moral life. He is a moral person, but he's not a Christ follower. And listen to me, especially in the American church today, we need a category for that. Every single one of us, we need a category for that. Because listen, we can go to church, we can watch online, we can pray, we can give alms, we can give to the church, we can tithe. We can serve, we can read our Bibles, we can do all the things that we believe a Christian should do, we can live moral lives, we can do everything. But if you are not surrendering your entire life to Jesus Christ, then you are missing the entire point of Christianity. You can do all the work you want to do, and you can follow to a T as best that you can, everything that is in Scripture. But if you have not surrendered yourself to the work of Christ on your behalf, and you have not humbled yourself to know that you cannot do anything to save yourself, but God has done it all for you, and you are not seeking to surrender yourself further in every single day of your life, and He is not not only your Savior, but your Lord and King, then you have missed the point of Christianity. You've missed it entirely, way, way off morality in and of itself as the goal is the enemy of the gospel. It is not the truth, just as much as immorality. We need to be saved from being religious and we need to be saved from being irreligious. So we're going to see God come to Cornelius in chapter three and verse three, sorry. And he's not going to say, hey, you're close. Like if you just do these couple of other things, or maybe you just try a little bit harder in these few things, then you will have salvation in me. Just do a little bit more. Now he's going to come and say, you need Jesus. You need salvation in Christ alone, who's done all the work. And listen, I, I'm worried. I'm worried. This, this little part right here has gotten me deeply this week. Because I'm worried for many in our church today. Not just our church, but the church. Like you guys have been doing a fantastic job during this whole pandemic time. And I want to thank you for that. You, you've been faithful. But man, as I look at what's happening in the church today, especially the, the statistics that are coming out during this pandemic and what they're revealing of something that was happening probably before the pandemic, but now is just being revealed. I'm worried for Christians who I think might have just been God-fearing and not Christ-following. And, and I think what we've seen is the religious routine has been broken and there's nothing of substance there. And they're just fading away. And again, thank you. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing here. Thank you for giving and being generous here. 
Uh, but, but I'm fearful for what I see in the, in the church as a whole, which we pray for every single week. And, and I want to challenge every single person here. I want to challenge you listening at home that if you find yourself, first just ask yourself, am I really Christ following? Am I really all his? Am I resting in him? Is he defining who I am? Do I want him more and more? Do I desire to grow in him and be known by him and others who know him more and more? And if you find yourself simply God-fearing and not Christ-following, I want you to take the step into true salvation and faith and freedom and joy that only Christ can bring as Cornelius does. And right now, in this moment, just ask God to reveal himself to you in a saving way and place your faith in him because religion will not save Doing your own thing and then just trusting in some prayer that you did, but you're not actually giving your life to Christ. You're not actually following him. You're not actually his. You're not actually seeking him. Then all you have is religion. And I'll say, if you want to hear from God, go ahead and just pray to him right now. You can miss, you have permission to miss the next five minutes of what I say to place your faith in Christ. Cornelius does that and God provides he tells Cornelius that Peter is going to come. He tells him exactly where he is and to send men to go get him. And I think it's so interesting that God doesn't just send an angel to tell Cornelius how to be saved. But he actually tells him to go get Peter. There's an extra step there because God's working in Peter and he's working in you, the church. And he wants to develop us and sanctify us. And he uses us to bring the gospel to others. So he's constantly working for us to understand the gospel deeper. And he's constantly working through us that others might know the gospel who do not know it. I love how God works. And so Cornelius, immediately he sends Peter. And look at verses 9 through 16. As they were getting close, the men that he sent, God is working on Peter. See, as he's working on Cornelius, he's also working on Peter. Even when we don't know what God is doing, he is working. God is always working around us. And when we are willing to be used, we will always find ourselves in divine appointments. We always will. I heard a beautiful story this week from one of our church members who just had one of those little magnets, the all-in magnets on the back of her car. She's getting gas, and, and somebody comes up and says, what is that? Because I guess there's some song called All In. I don't know. And, and they're like, what is that? What is that all about? And she gets to share the gospel with this person for 30 minutes, and then is just super excited. Why? Because it's what we were created to do. She was just so pumped, like it was something that was just, she experienced for the very first time, and it was so exciting that she wanted to tell everybody about it. God works in us, and he will bring divine appointments around us when we are leaning into him. And so Peter's on the rooftop, he's there to pray, it's noon, and God gives him a vision. He's working in both men, and this great sheet comes down in front of him from heaven, and on it were all kinds of animals that Peter would consider to be unclean. And then there comes a voice from heaven saying, rise and kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way. This is a trick. Like I cannot rise and, and kill and eat. I've never eaten anything unclean. If I eat these things, it'll, it'll put distance between me and God. I can't do that. And he's really stubborn. So again, the voice comes three different times and he's arguing with God. He's really confused at what God is doing because his whole life he's been taught one thing and God is just exploding that paradigm. 
that Jesus came to set the captive free, that he sets us free, that he fulfilled the, the Levitical laws, the ceremonial laws, and then now all people are welcomed into the kingdom of God. So verse 17, he's perplexed. Little does he know this whole thing is a whole lot bigger than food. And I think Peter's starting to put together some of the pieces here because, see, the dietary laws of clean and unclean are linked to Israel's separation from the rest of the nations in the Old Testament. They were to be a separated people to reveal God to the kingdoms. So they had these laws that actually separated them from people so that they would remain in the way that God had called them to and reveal together the kingdom. But in Christ, those ceremonial laws are broken and all people, even though in the Old Testament, it's always been God's plan. Gentiles come to faith in the Old Testament. Everybody's come, all different types of people are coming to faith in the Old Testament. But there is a people of God that is clear and God gives them rules or laws to keep them separate so that he's revealing what he desires to reveal until he comes. And then, and then he fulfills those laws. He reveals who he is by fulfilling those laws. And by fulfilling those laws, it would also fulfill the thing that it, the law was put in place to keep the Israelite people from. And so Peter's got to be putting this together, and it's just confusing him. There's a lot going on in his head. But remember, God is always working. And right then, as he is awakening from this vision, the men that God told Cornelius to send arrive, and they begin to ask for Peter. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit and doing what God has called him to do, he goes with them. He says, I'll go, right? And, and it's crazy that both of these men hear from God. They're very confused. Cornelius hears from God. He just sends the men. He's confused. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know what's going on. But he does know that God is God. And I'm going to follow whatever God tells me to do. God will use it. Peter, extremely confused would not necessarily ever live with a Gentile, would not go with a Gentile, would not desire for the Gentiles to be saved. But God has told him to do it, and he's close with God in community with God. He desires to honor and seek after God. He's in community with the people of God. So he knows whatever God tells me to do, I got to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow. Now, Peter is going to take a few people with him, right? It says that in, in chapter 11, verse 12, that six of the men go total, there's three that are sent by Cornelius. And so Peter's like, okay, one, two, three Gentiles. I'm thinking one, two, three Jews, just in case, right? And so six of them go together, right? And look at uh, verse 23. It's late. And so he invites them to stay the night. They're going to go the next day. So for the first time in Peter's life, he's inviting a Gentile into the house. God's breaking barriers, the next day they get there and Cornelius is waiting. All these other God-fearing people are there. Cornelius has brought other God-fearers there to hear about Jesus and the gospel. And Peter, a simple Jewish fisherman, is greeted by an influential Roman soldier. And the two of them would not normally ever come together or be brought together, but they're being brought together by a greater truth than nationality and ethnicity. They're being brought together by something that will actually break the dividing walls. They're both driven by humility and not pride in who they are and where they're from because God is the center to them and they desire to follow him and know him and grow in him over any other thing. And that allows unity amongst all people who desire to know Jesus or desire others to know him rather than pride and dissension. Now, it's a little awkward at first. Right? When you look at the text, both men are confused. They don't know what to do, but they do know that they need to connect together. They're, they're trying to follow God and honor him. So it looks a little bit weird at first. Cornelius runs up and bows down to Peter. 
totally a little bit lost. And Peter like, is like, man, I, this normally would be great. Roman centurion soldier bowing down to a Jewish man, Jewish fisherman. But no, 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 no. I am just a man like you. You see what God is doing in people? You see what he does? You see how the gospel works? Peter immediately says, no, I'm a man just like you. And it's beginning to dawn on him that we are equal in the eyes of God because we are made in his image. And then Peter acknowledges the tension in verse 28. He says, we shouldn't be here, but God. Clearly, God is doing something. Even though I don't know for the life of me, he says, why we're here. And it reminds me a lot, and I immediately go to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 16, where by grace we are saved, and Christ breaks down the barriers and the dividing walls between us and makes us one together as only Christ can do. But Peter's like, I don't want to be here. I'm uncomfortable. What will my people think? And we're going to see that not everybody agrees with what Peter did in the next chapter. And I think often we feel, listen to me, that we are above this type of situation happening in our lives even though the world around us screams that it is a reality. Our natural tendency outside of Christ in our, as our identity will be to dislike and disassociate with those who are not like us, who don't think like us, who don't believe like us, who don't eat like us and talk like us and have culture like us because we have normalized our culture and we trivialize theirs. We have idolized ourselves to build ourselves up and to gain the identity that we feel that we need that we can only find in Christ. And so therefore we have put the identity of others that they are taking pride in who they are and what they're doing down. It's naturally what we do. It happens in race, but it happens in all kinds of things. And so just for a moment, think about your natural prejudices. I know we don't want to. They're blind spots. We want to act like they don't happen. But are you naturally prejudiced against people of other ethnicities, people who are not like you? If you're politically on the left, are you prejudiced against people politically on the right or vice versa? If you have a very, like, just very clear way that you think education should be done, are you against people who don't agree with you on how you think education should be done? If people parent just a little bit different than you, are you against those people that parent? What about pandemic views? Huge divider today. It's not gospel-centered at all to be divided on pandemic views. Have your opinions, but I've never seen so many people make their opinions, their convictions, and be willing to walk away from relationships because somebody wants to wear a mask and somebody doesn't. It's ridiculous, guys. But we might hate one another because of that. And, and all I'm trying to say is, I'm not trying to say you should or shouldn't wear a mask. Do it. I do it in public. It's what we're supposed to do. But what I am saying is we have things all throughout our lives that cause division and it is not gospel centered. We are not above any of us elitism or pride or prejudice. We all naturally have them. I don't care how woke you think you are. You will find yourself in a natural group that you believe is better than other groups. And if you think you are woke, that's probably the group. See, all of us have groups that set us apart from other people naturally. The gospel is the only thing that sets us free from that. Now, really quickly, Peter's still a little confused. So Cornelius, he tells him exactly what happens and why he's there. And Peter has a missional transformation like suddenly it dawns on him everything that's happening. Look at verse 34. Peter opens his mouth and says, truly I understand. 
God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. Man, Jesus is Lord of all. Like Peter's mind has just exploded. He's got a deeper understanding of the gospel truth at a level that he never has before because God has been working in him. And the gospel allows us, as Peter gets here, to see that all people are made in the image of God. To see all people the way that God sees them. To see all people the way that we see ourselves. To find our value in God and not of the things of this world. It allows us to see our greatest joy in knowing God. And that to be in community with all of his people is how we know him best. And so we desire to understand other cultures. We desire to have friendships with other people. We desire to be with all the people that God has created to image him. So that we know him deeper. We understand him better. We have a greater joy. We can glorify him in a, in a more magnificent way than we can in and of ourselves. It brings a deeper joy to be in community with all the people that God has made in his image. So is there an answer to elitism, racism, classism, ageism, sexism? Yes, it's Jesus. It's the only answer. As one black pastor said that I admire and love so much, the reason we have skin issues is because we have sin issues. And Jesus is the answer. I wish I could say it as good as he did. That was my best shot. But all, but all horizontal relationships must first be restored vertically with God, and then we can begin to restore relationships with each other. Only Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He makes a new race under God where Peter and Cornelius are brothers. And they begin to see that right here. And it's a beautiful thing. But they're still confused. So, so Peter explains the gospel truth to them. We see this. He, he explains that Jesus came. He lived. He died. He rose. He, he grounds it all in history because we have a reasoned faith. We don't have a blind leaping faith. So he tells them, hey, you know all these things. But here's the truth of the gospel that you must believe and place your faith in for you to be saved. And, and I love this because as he's preaching, God's like interrupts him. He's like, thanks, Peter. That's enough. I got it from here. In verse 44, God just interrupts and we have a Gentile Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls just like he did in Jerusalem on the Jews, just like he did in Samaria on the Samaritans. Now he falls on the Gentiles and, and the Spirit clearly is in those who place their faith in him. They follow in believer's baptism, it says, and they hung out together to disciple one another. And I guarantee you to get to know one another, to listen to one another, to share with one another, to understand one another, to grow with one another, to have deeper community together. See, Peter doesn't just share the gospel and leave. He gets into the culture and he understands it. He wants to know them so that he can know God in a deeper way. Now, next week, we're going to see that not everybody loves that, but here's how I want to end. I want to end with these words. John Piper said, in light of the gospel, let us wash our minds and mouths of all racial slurs and ethnic put downs and be done. Listen to this. Be done with all alienating behaviors. Be the good Samaritan for the ethnic outcast. Be Jesus to some untouchable leper. And let's be Peter for some waiting Cornelius. I'll add, let's seek Christ that we may become more like him that we may love one another deeper and we may reveal the love of him to all who are around us.